could he do that? Are you on What? Charles Darwin. The nerves is where it's at. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brabber, and alongside me is Logan Camden, now with a fresh buzz cut delivered by yours truly. I cut Logan's hair. Things didn't go exactly as planned, but you know what, dude? I think it's looking swaggy. So everybody, if you're looking to get a trim, come on down to Carson's Cuts. The price is very cheap. It's free, and you just have to understand you're not going to get the exact haircut that you asked for, but you will get something that is shorter than that. All right, so we have an NBA show for you guys today, and this is going to be our last of the week because, as we mentioned on Monday, Logan is dipping out of town this Friday, which is very exciting, but it also means that we're going to be doing remote pods for a couple weeks, pretty much, because we're both going to be out of town at separate points. So this is our last in-person show for a while. Might not be a super long one because we just talked to NBA a couple days ago, but nevertheless, we got to do another check-in. And I think the most interesting thing to happen since we last recorded, is that John Morant just went out and dropped 52 points and did so after dropping 46 points in his previous outing and had about as exhilarating of a 52-piece as you can with a logo three, an insane buzzer beater at halftime where he's catching a full-court pass from Steven Adams and hits a corner triple, one of the great posters of the year against Jakob Pertl. Wait, that was a three? The, the full yeah. court pass from Adams is a three? I'm pretty sure. It's unreal. Yeah, I mean, it was as fun of an NBA performance as I can honestly think of. And I think that obviously, listen, we're big John Morant fans here. Ja was my favorite prospect in that draft. I talked throughout his rookie year about how insane it was that he was able to be efficient and how great of a playmaker he was for that age and how crazy it was to be the best guy on a winning team like Jaw's great, and he's gotten a whole lot better. I also think, though, as we tend to do here at NerdSesh, sometimes we feel that the dialogue becomes a bit too reactionary and people become prisoners of the moment a little bit, and it's, you know, oh, Jaw is the MVP or whatnot. And so I do think that we've pushed back against some of those narratives, pointed out some of the facts about the success the Grizzlies have had without him, you know, some of the average to below average defense, some of the efficiency, which has gotten better and is good, but not necessarily compared to, you know, the top five guys on the planet, those real MVP contenders. So just given all that, Logan, I think a good place to start this conversation is with this question. Is John Morant a top 10 player in the NBA right now? Without a doubt. Um, I, I don't know how you can say he isn't this season. I mean, yeah. if, if we had a healthy Kawhi, if we had a healthy Damian Lillard, you know, a healthy Anthony Davis, maybe this pushes him out of the conversation. But I think... With the health issues, I think he's a no-brainer. Honestly, I would have him, and, and again, I'm basing team success. I have him in like the DeMar DeRozan, Luka Doncic, Chris Paul kind of tier mm. uh, with team success in there. Now, it's like, if you ask me who do I want more, Luka Doncic or John Moran, I'm probably taking Luka. But again, with the team success factor factored in, I don't know. There's a debate to be had there. Again, the Grizzlies are 12-2 and two without John in the season. Um, I think he has to be. And I mean... Literally over the last 15 games, and I get, you talk about the narratives, I can't blame people. I had someone text my phone, um, I love him, Ethan texted me uh, during the 52-point piece while Jaws going off, um, I think Jaws my MVP. And I'm not going to fault people for being prisoners at the moment, because the last 15 games, he has been a league-leading 34 points per game, 
you know, he's putting up six assists a night, six boards on 51, 31, 72 splits. And Ja is a guy, what I think really stood out to me, Carson, during that game, it's so much fun to watch. Like, his... Ja is a guy that when his confidence is high, it just seems like everything is falling, man. And he gets those first couple threes to go, and he just starts pulling. I know he only made four on the game, but it was just like whatever he was putting up, it just felt like he was going to knock down. And I don't know, man. There's not many guys that just... There's not many guys that can just get fired up like that and just feel like they're locked in. He's one of the most fun guys in the NBA to watch as well. Um, Jaws like, unbelievable, man. And I, he's, he's so much fun. I, I think if you're talking about... We can talk about talent ability and debate. Is he a top 10 player? I think Ja is kind of, I think a broader conversation to have maybe though, Carson, and I want your opinion on it too, is, I don't know, man, I feel like Ja is cementing himself as like a, a, a genuine, you know, like face of the NBA, you know what I mean? Like he is, he is the explosive guard in the NBA today. He is the, he's slowly climbing up the ranks of just, you know, of superstardom, and it's it's a lot of fun to watch. Um to get back to the overall point, I think it's a no-brainer. I think Jaws number seven for me right now, team success factored in. Um, I think he's a no-brainer, and what he has been doing these last 15 games is just downright exceptional. So uh, you say team success factored into your individual player rankings? Yeah, I mean, well, it's like, I feel like that has to factor in, you know, with Luka's struggles early on in the year. Mm-hmm. Um with the pieces that, like, Chris Paul has a guy like Devin Booker to rely on. You know, DeMar has a couple of other big-time scores and Vucevic and Levine. Um, and Jaws kind of, you know, just so clearly head and shoulders above the best offensive player on his team. So, yeah, that's what I factored in. But, I mean, to boot Ja off this list, who are you going to put in there? You know, I mean, Trey Young, Cat, Donovan Mitchell, like, Carl Anthony Towns? I, I don't really know if... I don't know. I don't really know if if I can really make a debate for anybody to to crack the list over Jaw. I think he has to be here for this year. You're absolutely right. And the question of is he a top ten player long term in a fully healthy NBA? I think is a tougher one because Kawhi immediately boots him off that list. I still think that Dame playing basketball like he was before this season, which has just been so weird, and obviously now the injuries have derailed everything. I still take that guy as a more complete offensive engine I think Anthony Davis I don't know we'll see the version of AD we saw this year I don't think is a better player than John Morant but like everything is just so weird with him when he's constantly in and out of an injured state like you don't really know how to fully assess him but this year 100% he just has to have been I mean this is a guy who again when he came into the league it was like okay obviously jaw-dropping athlete but if you were going to ask me what was his peak basketball skill I would have said it was his playmaking it was his ability to read the floor as a driver to make these unbelievable passes out of traffic midair improvisational dumping it off to guys finding shooters and now this guy is averaging almost 28 a game on 58% true shooting in his third year and is flat out an unstoppable score like there just is not a way to handle John we've talked about it before but I think that if you're comparing him to the other great athletic guards who you think of of the past 15 years, specifically at the point guard position. We've done this comparison at other points in this year, but I think that we've often keyed in on it athletically. And maybe we've done a bit of the overarching conversation too, but like compared to D. Rose, compared to Russ, 
I just think that Jaw is almost a different level of unstoppable because his basketball skill is so advanced. And this isn't as much true for D-Rose because he has some of these traits too, but the change in pace and pick and roll poise from Jaw laughs at anything that Russell Westbrook has ever had. The floater <laughs> game laughs, and D-Rose has had that in his bag as well, so that's a different spot. But the pull-up jump shooting, I would argue, is certainly better than Russ's has ever been. And yeah, he's only 34.5% from deep, but like D-Rose was kind of consistently below that mark in his career. And then the overall efficiency is a score. And I just think, again, he's unstoppable. Like, his ability to burst through tight windows, his handle is so controlled that he splits doubles like nobody else. His footwork inside is insane. His aerial ability to maneuver around guys and adjust midair is, like, probably crazier than either of those guys as well. D-Rose is absolutely nuts as well. But... I just think he is a more complete player. And I really think he's picked it up on the defensive end. He had a really bad start on that end. But I think he's been fine at this point, And neither of those guys were ever real pluses. I mean, Russ has consistently been a minus defensively. D-Rose was on some great team defenses, but individually wasn't, like, outstanding. So, yeah, I mean, I think he is already one of the best point guards we've seen of the last decade. I genuinely would take this version of John Morant over any version of Russell Westbrook and over any version of Derrick Rose. And he's in his third year. That's hot. That's real hot. I was going to say, I completely agree with you on, um, you know, I think the signature trait for all those guys, right, is the interior scoring. I think you hit it on the head with Jaw, though. I would take Jaw finishing at the rack over both of those guys. Like, the... It's just different. The... The footwork inside is what always gets me, man. The spin moves that he can turn to, the way he just gets through the lane. It's, it's unbelievable. It's unstoppable. I will say, I don't know if I'm taking... I think Jaws a better pure scorer and pure bucket all around than Derrick Rose ever was in his career, than Russell Westbrook ever was in his career. The only thing I would push back on is I think... I think... I think D. Rose was probably a better pull-up jump shooter at his peak. Um, Maybe the mid-range is the yeah. separation there. And that's the only thing that I push back on. I, I kind of agree on everything else, and I think he also has a... I, I'll let you finish. I think he has a higher ceiling as a as a playmaker, too. Like, yeah. I just... I don't I Like, those guys were great at collapsing defenses, but with Ja, it's... I, I really do think it's on a different level than those two guys. So, how much of the value that a guy like D-Rose would have as a mid-range pull-up jump shooter do you feel like Ja supplements with shooting the floater at the volume that a lot. he does. I would say I would say it's actually not that big of a deal. Um maybe that matters in the playoffs a little more just because again when you know late game crunch time scenarios you need a tough bucket. Um maybe that matters, but no. That's what I was I was going to follow it up and say that it doesn't really matter all that much. You know, it's a difference of like 5 feet. Ja can get into the free throw line and hit that floater and D-Rose is a little better, you know, from the perimeter, but it's a hot take, but I honestly think I agree, Carson. And the beauty of it is, with the flashes that we see from the jump shot, like, we bring this up every single time we talk about Ja. I mean, if Ja becomes a 35% three-point shooter consistently, he's at 34% on the year. Like, if he can get up into 35 36 37%, Ja's going to be banging on that top five window very soon. I mean, he has to, right? I I don't know when it's going to happen because to make that happen, he's going to have to boot Kawhi. He's going to have to boot LeBron. He's going to have to boot Steph, which I think is 
you know, it's it's a tall asking point at this point for job, but he is such a physically imposing scorer and such a menace that I mean, just adding a perimeter, a reliable pull-up jump shooting game or a reliable, consistent three-point shot, it makes Ja one of the most unguardable players in the NBA today, and he's he's unreal. He's he might be the most exciting player in the NBA today, you know? 100%. And, yeah, I do think I should revise my initial statement because when I'm talking about pull-up jump shooting between him and the competition, from three, I think, is where, honestly, he might have the advantage. I still think there's probably a level of fluidity that maybe D. Rose has a bit over him just because Ja doesn't have, like, the prettiest jump shot. But, again, I mean, the efficiency, the volume, like... D. Rose, at his peak, I think he was 33% from deep in his MVP season. But yeah, there was a totally different level of mid-range jump shooting. And it wasn't crazy efficient, but like that was a big-time weapon. And even Russ has relied a lot more. Like, Ja doesn't take mid-range pull-up jumpers. That's that's also so, that's kind of something that makes him better, though, you know? It's, I agree. It's, I mean, if he can shoot 45% on super high-volume floaters, it's more valuable. And... Again, he's leaving his options open. He's not settling from 18 feet. He's getting within 12 feet, and he's saying, okay, now we're in the unstoppable position where I can probably do something crazy and find my way all of the bucket. I can put up the floater, or now I've collapsed the defense, and I can facilitate. So I completely agree with you. I do think it's an advantage. I'll ask you this question about Jaw. Where among like young guys in the NBA are you taking him to start a franchise with? What are we considering young? Under the age of 25? Yeah, let's let's go with that barometer. I think at this point, he is second behind only Luka Doncic. And it's it's tough. I, I completely agree with you. I would take Luka as well. And the thing I is, think there's a gap between him and Luka still. I, I go I agree. I completely agree. I just Luka is a different kind of offensive engine. He's got different kind of playmaking vision. Totally. I, he's just that much more special of a passer and offensive engine. That being said, I, we again, we always bring this up with Jaw too, and uh, Cowherd brought this up, um, I believe, on his last herd, and it's, you know, I mean, you just have to be worried about, uh, you just have to be worried about Jaw's play style long-term. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The uh, People always bring it back to D. Rose, and I mean, uh, in the Redraftables episode of Bill Simmons, you know, Bill talked about how he thought that D. Rose... It was a freak injury, right? Mm-hmm. To me, the way D Rose landed and kind of went up and down, it always it seemed inevitable. You know what I mean? That mm-hmm. it was going to creep in. I don't I, I don't want to see that happen to Jaw, but I mean his play style is. I mean, how many bounce, super bouncy point guards like that? I feel like Russ is kind of the only anomaly, a guy that has lasted that long and kind of kept that bounce and never really gotten hurt. That, that played with that kind of reckless abandonment and. I don't know. I think it always just has to be in the back of your mind when you're considering a guy like Ja Morant. And I don't know. It just that, that just always has to scare you. Sure. I would just argue that we obviously haven't seen a significant injury out of him up to this point. And I do think that he has more ways to uh, supplement his pure athleticism than a lot of these guys have. Because again... I mean, he has the change in pace out of the pick and roll, right? He has the ability to slow it down, and he does have these passing instincts. And I do think that he's grown as a pull-up jump shooter from beyond the arc. So I'm not going to disagree. I mean, yeah, that's a concern, but I don't know. The guy's 22 years old right now and is playing unbelievable basketball, and medicine has evolved to the point where it's like our traditional standards are changing, you know? Like maybe if D. Wade 
played today, I mean, he would load manage more. Like, you know, he would prioritize pull-up jump shooting more. I think of him just as the stereotypical example of the great athlete who didn't age as gracefully because of injuries primarily. I just don't know if we can apply those same standards that we always have when we have KD coming off of a torn Achilles, which is theoretically impossible throughout basketball history, and you know having some of the most efficient scoring seasons ever. Like I just think it's a question. It's not something I want to worry about right now. It also is. I think it is a mentality thing too. You know what I mean? Coming back from it. Yeah. Uh, D Rose always kind of felt like I don't know. Like he let it beat him. Russ got hurt. Came back. You know, actually, Russ had a major knee injury, you know what I mean? And came back and was 100%. I, I don't know. I, I don't want to see it happen for sure. Um, Jaw is slight also, which, like, it, it doesn't feel like it to me, but D. Rose has 25 yeah, pounds on that's, him. That's a good point. It's a lot more force coming down every single time you go up. I, that's a good point. Um, on that, uh, I got a list up here, Carson, um, and I kind of want to gauge your opinion on this. I, you posed it before the pod. I mean... Is Ja the best 22-year-old point guard ever? I, I mean, it's. I think it's a worthwhile conversation to have. I mean, Magic is probably... I'd probably take, you know, 22-year-old Magic over him just because mm-hmm. when Magic came into the league, he was, you know, I mean, he won a title at Michigan State, was ready, you know, ran the five in his first finals. Like, Magic was, you know, he was ready the, the second he came into the league. But Do you not consider Luka Doncic to be a point guard? Oh, no, Luka's a point guard. I would probably, again, I'd probably still take Luka over him. But, I mean, is he is he three? That's a crazy list to be number three on. I do think that Trey Young honestly merits some discussion here. And I think that he is probably the best contender for the guy you would build a team around next. Just because I do think there is a different level of playmaking with him. Uh, he has been the more efficient scorer consistently. And I mean, I do think the jaw again is damn near unstoppable as a score at this point, but I also think that there's more worlds in which, you know, he may just have an off night from the perimeter. And I just think Trey has so many different ways to kill you as a score and has so much gravity out to the perimeter as well that I think that what we saw from Trey, I mean, what we've seen from Trey this year, I guess he's 23 now, but is, on par, I, I think Trey Young is probably still a better offensive player than John Morant. I just think he's so bad defensively that I would give Jaw the edge as an overall basketball player. I think I, I agree, and also, I mean, if you're going legacy wise too, Trey Young already has an ECF run yeah. under his belt, which is major in the scope of you know what guys have already accomplished. Like that's big time. And he averaged twenty nine and nine and a half on that run, even if it wasn't always the most efficient. I mean the dude was pretty unreal. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know if anybody, you know I mean? You can throw a D Rose out there. You can throw a, I don't know, a, a young Chris Paul out there. Chris Paul was averaging 21-12 and like three steals a game. Yeah, what year was D Rose 22? Um, was that 08? Because I'm taking that version of D Rose. I mean, yeah, he's putting up Oh, 20... excuse me, not, not D Rose, Chris Paul. Yeah, I think I'm taking that Chris Paul. I mean, Chris Paul is an MVP candidate at that point, you know? Yeah, so his 22-year-old season was... 08 when he was MVP runner-up and very easily could have won the award. So, I mean... Top... He's somewhere in the... Top six, top seven. Yeah. That's kind of unbelievable. I don't know, man. I was I was really skeptical of that draft class as a whole. I was worried that Jaws' shot from the perimeter was going to hold him back. I was worried about Zion long-term just because of the weight. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be honest, Carson. I, I never really... 
I know a lot of people were super high on Ja. You were high on Ja. Peyton was high on Ja. A lot of people loved him. I never really... I don't know. I guess because we hadn't seen it in such a long time, I guess I never... I, I guess I just never envisioned a point guard being this effective at, you know, at this size. And he's just... It's just amazing that a guy this size can be so physically imposing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's Outside of D. Rose, it's kind of unprecedented. And when I say that, if you throw Russ out there, I just mean efficiency-wise. Yeah. Effectiveness on well, team winning. And by the way, I mean, D. Rose throughout his career has scored at below league average efficiency. Like, Jod certainly has the advantage there with the level that he's gotten to now you know, eating up free throws, shooting 54% on twos. And again, perfectly respectable pull-up jump shooter. Jaw is a guy who has just every step of the way made his impact felt. I mean, you go year by year, and as a rookie, he comes in and produces 18-7 and seven on 56% true shooting and is the captain for a team that was in playoff position for basically the entire year. And then his second season is disappointing as far as his regular season production and then he goes in in the playoffs and averages 31 and 8 and it's like oh my god for a moment is this guy going to take down the Utah Jazz and then this year has just been an extension of that and he's obviously fleshed that all out over an entire regular season and has been a top 10 guy in basketball like that year to year progression Mm -hmm. is pretty darn remarkable for a guy who played college basketball at Murray State (laughs) or really just any young guard and Again, this is another thing where maybe we need to reevaluate our standards because, like, we have now seen three historically great young point guards very early in their careers in Luca and Trey Young and Ja. And I do wonder if, like, offensive skill has just developed to the point where we are going to see that happen more and more often. I still think it's really hard to be an efficient volume young guard. I think we've seen that with Cade this year. I think we've seen that with Jalen Green. I think we see it year in, year out. Like, it is rare that dudes come in and produce efficiently in any sort of lead role. But we do have these three guys. Maybe that's just a testament to how insanely special they are, though. I think it is. And what I also think is interesting, Carson, is we talked for a long time on this show about, um, you know, how we thought that John needed that long-term running mate. You know what I mean? We needed He needed a second guy to mm-hmm. rely on. I just think it's really interesting that, again, I don't want to discredit the depth here because it, it really is a, a mentality. It's a, it's a it, 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 just watch a Memphis game. And yeah. it's just, all these guys are working so hard. And I do think they have something in Zaire Williams. I don't know about a long-term number two. I like his game. Um, but I just think it's interesting that, I mean, there's not really a standout number two. Desmond Bain is great. You know, I love Desmond Bain. I'm a, as big a Desmond Bain guy as there's going to be, but it's not like he's... It's just amazing that also... Hell, you can group Luca and Trey into this too. It's kind of amazing that they are just so solely dominant that they just lead to great offense without needing a whole lot around them. Um, and, and again, I, I think I think Jaws supporting cast is a little better overall, but still, it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, his development is incredible, and... I didn't think he would ever get to this level as a scorer. I love Ja, but I thought he'd be a 22, 24, and 10 kind of guy. Again, I thought so much of his value would come from being a pronounced playmaker because he's coming downhill all the time. But like the maturity and development he has as a pick and roll scorer, and really the floater is pivotal to it. But also, again, just navigating traffic. Like nobody 
has the ability to create something out of nothing, get into the bucket like Jaw in the NBA right now. And I really don't know who I've ever seen have that kind of ability. It is absolutely freakish. And the run that he has been on as of late, it's like crazy. I just didn't think Jaw would ever be a score first weapon. But I think now clearly his scoring is his primary trait. And it is very, very, very scary. And I do still think there's a higher playmaking ceiling he can, he can reach. You know, he's averaging almost an assist less per game than when he was a rookie. Mm-hmm. But the scoring has been utterly phenomenal. Any other thoughts on Ja? I mean, is anybody else pushing him as far as the youngest guys? Like, again, I would throw out Trey as probably the only really compelling contender in that same age range. And obviously, Giannis, Jokic, Embiid, those guys are aged out of this conversation now. I don't really think that there's... uh, I don't know if there's anybody that... Cats aged out, too. Anthony Edwards, I guess LaMelo Ball are are compelling options just because we can project that they're going to get better. I still have supreme faith that, uh, you know, Carson did a video on LaMelo Ball before the season and what, you know, you anticipated his leap. Uh, You talked tenfold about how you thought Anthony Edwards was going to take a big leap. I still anticipate these guys being building blocks and offensive engines. I don't know about Ant as an offensive engine, but as just a pure... He's gonna. I think he's going to get there one day, but as a pure buck, I think Anthony Edwards is going to get there. I did want to ask you, though... In terms of young guards, like, uh, this doesn't have anything to do with job, but, like, where does Darius Garland rank among these guys for you? I think that Ants, to me, I'm taking over LaMelo at this point. I think that I just have more questions about LaMelo as a scorer. And, yeah, the guy's going out there and putting 20 a game in his second year. So, not great efficiency, but I think that tells you the guy's a pretty damn good basketball player, if that's my question about him offensively obviously brilliant playmaker I just think Ant's gonna score 28 a game like I've seen enough out of him as a pull-up jump shooter and he is one of the craziest athletes alongside jaw and I think that elevates his playmaking ceiling too so another, sorry little, little thing yeah about Ant. dude you can just tell with his Anthony Edwards eat sleeps in dreams ball yeah you can just tell man that's one of the things I love about Ant is like there's no oh but remember before the draft how he didn't love basketball yeah, who comes up with who comes up with this bullshit, man? Dude, he and is a gamer, man. Like he he loves the game, and you can just tell. Yeah. I I love he's such a and such a good dude that you can root for, man. I, I love that kid. To answer your question, I genuinely think that if you were asking me who I would start my franchise with between Darius Garland and Lamelo Ball it's closer than most people would expect. I mean, I just think Garland is flat out better at this point. I think that he is, to an extent, a more practical playmaker. I think his scoring game is much more refined. Both these guys rely on the floater, but Garland's is just more efficient. He's a better jump shooter. I think that his shot selection is significantly better. Uh, You know, he's a lot more efficient. I think that... He is a pretty incredibly good offensive player for a third-year guy, as I have been telling people for as long as they would listen, that I love Darius Garland. And, you know, he's only got a year of experience on LaMelo, so. That's that's hot, man. That is spicy. I mean, like, I'm trying to think genuinely about what the rational argument is for taking LaMelo, and I guess it's like... So, size? Yeah, I think that is, honestly. What about... um? 
I kind of feel like that's it. And the playmaking ceiling yeah. that goes along with that because he can make passes that Garland just can't at that height. Who, who, in your opinion, has a better feel for the game? I think that that's so tough because LaMelo has a level of improvisational genius that I think very few people have, and I don't think Garland has. But I also think he's more prone to bad decisions and kind of silly mistakes. So I think it's close. I mean, if we're just talking about pure field, there's something just instinctually to me that drifts towards LaMelo. But if we're talking about decision-making right now, I think I would take Garland. Because, again, there's just a few too many shots from LaMelo where you're like, what are we doing here? And... The passes, I don't really mind because such brilliant playmaking comes out of it, but there's also a few more of those. So, yeah, I I would take LaMelo, but it's close. And outside of that, I mean, as far as the really young pack of guards, we're not really missing anybody, right? I mean, unless we want to throw, like, Donovan Mitchell into that age range, but, you know, I mean, he was drafted in 2017. Like, I, he's in a different mini-generation, I think. Yeah, I'm pulling up a list here. I just want to make sure that we're not missing. Bruh. <laughs> Thank you guys for letting me know that Will put up 50 points per game as a 25-year-old. Yeah, if you're going to try to use StatMuse Live, it's always a guessing game. StatMuse, we love you. But the search engine can be a little bit questionable at yeah, times. They're pulling up Sengun and Kaminga. We're going to patch this one up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's telling you who scored the most points per game yesterday. By a player 25 or younger. Brilliant. Okay, speaking of players 25 or younger, Logan. 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 Guards, even. From the 2019 draft class, even. R.J. Barrett has been playing some very good basketball as of late. And we've talked about him at various points throughout this year. Because he's an interesting guy. And he's had some real high points and some real low points this year. And obviously, the Knicks are filled with disappointment. But I know that he's a guy who you really like. So... What do you make of this? And, I mean, you've talked about how you think they should build around RJ. I pushed back on that a bit. Where do you stand with all that? Yeah. Man, it's really tough with RJ because I think there's... I think there's, like, two schools of thought with RJ because I think the... If the version of RJ right now, if we're going to keep getting that for the next five seasons... Like, I, I don't know... Basically, my rationale for building around RJ is you give him all these touches, and the logic is that he'll get better, right? He'll, he'll keep developing his feel for the game. He'll keep developing his handle. Um, you know, he'll keep developing as a playmaker. He'll keep developing his perimeter shot. And it's just like the version of RJ we have right now, I think, would have to be the third or fourth guy on a winning team. You know what I mean? And I think that's kind of obvious and plain to see. He's. RJ does two things at a really high level that I like when I watch him. And he's a great defensive asset. And I think long-term, I really do like what the Knicks have in Cam Reddish and RJ in terms of cohesion, in terms of defensive ability, in terms of versatility. Like, they're just two Swiss Army knives that I think, if they're not your lead guys, can be winning, you know, assets. But RJ's a really good defender, and then I think he's really good at operating in the lane. I really do. I, I like him navigating stuff. I think he's... Uh, He's decent at getting dudes in jail, you know, and picking apart the defense that way. But it's like, I also think there's one more thing that he's good at, and that's he's good at drawing fouls. He attempts uh, five a night. It's 25th in the NBA today. It's not crazy, but it's good that this guy's not shying away from contact. The thing that is going to keep RJ every single year um, 
from being a number two or a number one, and you can see it in the tape, he doesn't have a floater, he does not have a really reliable mid-range game, and he just, just does not have a reliable perimeter game. And it's like, I like RJ a lot, but he doesn't knock down his catch-and-shoot attempts at a high enough level for me you know, to really bank on him as an off-ball guy. He's not reliable on ball and pull-up shooting. He's shooting 35% on pull-ups and 26% on pull-up threes. Talk about creation in the lane. He's shooting 31% in the mid-range, 31% on floaters, and then 14% on step back. So like uh, Carson Rubber classic here, uh, to be a lead guard, you need to have that perimeter scoring, like to really be imposing, or you need to be dominant on the interior, and he's not. So like RJ just as a lead scorer just isn't there yet. And people are going to look at these last 11 games where he's averaging 25 points and they're going to go, oh my God. It's because he's getting more touches. Like I think his usage rate is like 90% this year. He's just, they're shying away from Julius Randle. The 90th percentile, I believe. You yeah, mean. sorry. That would be crazy. 90%, yeah, that'd be <laughs> nuts. Um, RJ's just like, I like what I think RJ can turn out to be, but like this is not... RJ's not a winning basketball player right now, and I like I like him a whole hell of a lot more than Julius Randle, but it's like RJ just cannot be the guy right now. Uh, and I just don't know if I can bank on it long term. His jumper's kind of janky. Yeah. He just has not really shown any flashes in that regard. So, like, well, I guess what I meant by that is, by the Knicks should build run RJ is, he's kind of their best young asset. And, and there's a lot of young assets I like in New York. I, I've talked about this a lot. I like a lot of the young talent here. Deuce McBride, Emmanuel Quickly, Jericho Sims, uh, Cam Reddish even. Uh, I want to make sure I'm not missing out. I like Quentin Grimes a lot. Like, I like a lot of the young guys they have in New York, and I think RJ's the best of the bunch, but it's like, <laughs> there's just not a whole lot else. They need a... I really hope they can get off this Julius Randle contract and get somebody that works well alongside RJ and the skill sets aren't as redundant because their two best players are two guys who aren't, you know, great at manufacturing good offense. They aren't really good ball movers. They kind of do the exact same thing. Um, they drive into the lane and they kick it to the guy on the perimeter. And that's it. Uh, I think I think RJ right now, my gauge is he can be a three or a four on a good team. And I mean that now and I mean that long term. Um, but he's the best thing that the Knicks have. And that's why I say build around him. Yeah. RJ's good, but... He's funky, and I think that... <laughs> that's, a, that's a good way to put it. Like, honestly, one of my favorite things about him, watching him play, is just his pace, right? He's crafty, and he's patient, and he's deceptive. But with his play style, you gotta have that nifty mid-range floater game. And he tries it, but he just doesn't have it. I mean, you mentioned that that's an issue, but he's 32% on floaters this year and he's 31% for mid-range. Like, uh, that's just not going to cut it. And so, yeah, I don't think RJ's ever going to be a guy who you run an entire offense through. I, I think that coming in as a prospect, you know, his passing was pretty darn solid for a guy who you weren't thinking was going to be a primary facilitator, but here we are year three and it's only 2.7 assists per game for him still. And it's like, that's not overly impressive. And his efficiency on twos has just never been very good. Career 44.8% on two pointers. Because again, a lot of it is kind of that tough stuff. So he doesn't get himself a ton of super easy opportunities. And I think that the ideal role for him is, honestly, I do think he's a 
proven himself to be a pretty damn good catch and shooter. Like he was 41% on catch and shoot threes last year. He's been 38% this year. Put him in that role. Have him attack closeouts off of that because he's still a pretty good athlete in the scheme of things. Just not an insane one. And then, yeah, he can do a little bit of the crafty in-between stuff in there. But he's entertaining when he's on. Mm-hmm. But when he's off, you're just like, okay, I think the flaws are pretty plain to see here. Especially if you were going to try to like really build around him. So I certainly like him. I think he's a skilled basketball player. And I think that... You know, he's a guy who can probably play a couple different roles for you. But, yeah, I don't think, unfortunately, Knicks fans can look at this and be like, oh, my God, we have such a win. We have future all-star R.J. Barrett. We have, you know, the guy who we're going to build around for the next half decade in R.J. Barrett. I just think they have a pretty good, flawed basketball player. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think he's a glue guy. I think he, I think he's a good glue guy on a, on a playoff team. And... You just can't even be the lead guy. I, and if the Knicks, that's what sucks about this, man, is with him handcuffing himself to this Julius Randle contract, it's like, what the hell else are you going to get? You know, you need, the Knicks need a lead scorer. They need somebody to build the offense around. Like, I, I just don't know what the Knicks do, man. They Another bad Knicks contract, man. Yeah. I, I, I really, I just... They're such good fans, man. They're such good people. I was so excited for you guys at the start of this year. Now Kemba's yeah. not even in. Kemba's not going to play the rest of the year. Yeah. I think Tibbs is done after this year. What do you think? Yeah. Oh, 100%. Move on. It's over. Yeah, I mean, there's just a few things with RJ. You know, I think that he kind of favors tough finishes, too, where he leans away from contact a bit at times. He's actually been getting to the line a lot more as of late and has been getting downhill more, and that's been good to see. But, yeah, again, it's like if he's not making that nifty mid-range stuff, which most of the time he's not, he's just not a, like, primary scorer kind of talent right now. He's scored at sub-52% true shooting this year. That's really bad. I think there's just lots of stuff where it's like he's a work in progress. And he's 21 years old. He's in his third year. And he can still get better. Yeah, I mean... But it's just like I can't really envision the primary smooth operator offensive like real star rj barrett even though he has been on this great run and props to him for doing that yeah again on a good team rj should be putting up you know 16 5 and 5 16 6 and 6 he needs to it's just his role and again his catching shooting is promising like that will make him a valuable asset long term Mm -hmm. that'll make him a very valuable asset wherever he goes because he has that three and d potential with you know a little bit of ball handling uh and some decent decision making but yeah, he's just. I, I guess I kind of got overzealous just because I saw the defense. You know, I saw the the, the handle. He, he's and he showed flashes this year, man. Like, like you said, Carson, I would watch a half a basketball of R.J. Barrett. I'll go, damn, man, R.J. looks great. Like I'm, yeah, I'm all in. I'm putting my chips back on the table. And then the next half, he comes out and just craps the bed. Like, yeah, we've seen enough to know that just R.J.'s not the guy. And it's a make or miss league, Logan. What does that mean? It means that he doesn't make enough of the tough shots, but sometimes he will. And then you think, yeah, that boy's pretty tough. Kind of like Nikhil Alexander-Walker. I guess. <laughs> yeah, kind of like Jose Alvarado, you know? Not really. That was a sweet transition. I threw you a That lob. was sick because Pelicans. All right, so we kind of briefly talked about the Lakers on Monday, Logan, and just how they're bad, and they've continued to be bad. And we're at the point now where I think we have to pose the question, 
of if the Pelicans are going to catch them because this is the race for the nine seed. I mean, I still think the most likely outcome is that both of these teams are in the play-in. I don't really think that the Blazers are going to get there, but you know they're sitting in the same spot standing-wise as the Pelicans, and that is two games back of the Lakers who have now lost three straight and are seven games below 500. So what do you think? Can the Pelicans catch the Los Angeles Lakers? I wish I had saved uh, this post I saw. I can't. Some ESPN or some former basketball player came out and was like, uh, it, it talked about this. Ryan Hollins. I really hope it was not Ryan Hollins. Yeah, I have no idea if it was. I, I can't remember who said it, but they were like, have you seen the rosters for the Pelicans and the Blazers? Why would, you know, why would these teams ever catch the Lakers? You're talking crazy if you think this could happen. I'd almost project it to happen. Mm-hmm. Like Both of them or the Pelicans? I would project the Pelicans to get them and the Blazers to have a chance. Not only have the Lakers lost to both of these teams very recently, one of my favorite quotes uh, by the great poet Kodak Black, ain't no punk in me. I ain't got no punk in me. Carson ain't got no punk in him. Very the little. La- very the- little. <laughs> the Lakers got a ton of punk in them. And that's what's so frustrating. And that's why I think the Pelicans have a real chance. The Lakers don't fight. The Lakers have given up. The Lakers are the people on the side of the road with a flat tire who have just decided to wait until someone can help them and change it instead of getting out the jack and changing it. They have just, they've succumbed. They have decided we're done. We don't care. There's no fight in this team. There's no dog in this team. And that's why I think it's completely feasible that the Pelicans can do this. Since the McCollum trade, the Pelicans are 6th in offensive rating. They're 15th in defensive rating. If that keeps up, I know they're 3-4. and four. They do not have a great bench. But they got dogs. They got dudes who are going to go to war, who are going to go and fight every night. And that matters in regular season basketball. And you see it. Every possession with the Lakers, they don't have any heart. They don't have any guts. They don't have any, like, the passion is gone. Mm -hmm. And so, I think that I I would bet on the Pelicans catching them, despite them having a losing record since trading for CJ. In that same time span since the McCollum trade, again, very small sample size, the Lakers are 27th in offensive rating and 19th in defensive rating. And I don't care, LeBron can put up as many 25-point-per-game nights as as he wants. That is not translated to wins thus far. So, you know, like... I just think that LeBron, the LeBron factor doesn't even matter at this point because I just think the team around him is so ass and is so yeah. and has already quit and given up. So that's my take, man. I I just think that the Pelicans are going to try harder. They are going to play harder. Jose Alvarado is going to have a thirty-point game soon. Swing a game. I would bet on the Pelicans catching them, and I, I don't really care about. Um, I I don't really care about the Lakers having LeBron. Yeah, and I think that there's a couple things with LeBron, too, where it seems like his knee injury is affecting him at least some percentage. And even though he's still getting his as a scorer for the most part, he's not having the same effect amplifying guys around him. Like his last three games, he has 11 total assists. I just don't know when you see that from LeBron. Like that's so abnormal. And. You know, part of it is he doesn't really have great shot makers around him. But I just feel like there isn't that exertion of maximum force on every possession. Like, he's still getting the bucket. And it's impressive for a 37-year-old dude who, again, I think is 
being bothered by a knee, but you know, he's not going to drive downhill every single time and see, okay, what can I create and drive and kick situations and whatnot. And you know, there just isn't enough talent around to nearly pick up for anything less than superhuman LeBron performance every night. And I just don't think you're getting superhuman LeBron for the next 21 games, given his health, given the fact that AD isn't going to play, given the fact that this team has not incentivized that Russ doesn't help them win basketball games. Like, unless he becomes significantly better very fast. So everything is trending in the wrong direction. And as I mentioned last episode, they have the second toughest strength of schedule remaining in the NBA. And 14 of their last 21 games are on the road where they have sucked this year. They're 9-18 and 18 on the road. So I think that, yeah, this is very, very likely because the Pelicans, you mentioned their split since CJ, but... In the month of February, which is 11 games, they're 7th in offensive rating, 10th in defensive rating. Like, I think that they've really locked in more on that defensive end and have progressed there. And CJ brings them a different level of offense and a different ceiling there. And they just have a significantly easier schedule remaining. And they care. Like, they're actually competing at this point because I think that they see the opportunity mm -hmm. in front of them. So, yeah, it is 100% possible. It very well may be probable because... Let's just look at the Lakers' upcoming slate of games. I'm going to pull that up. And until I do that, I'll just talk about something else. You guys see that movie? Have you guys seen that movie? I had seen that movie. Actually, It's very good. It's very pretty good, good right? Okay. Like, I mean, this actually isn't the most brutal stretch upcoming. But, like, you just think about the teams they've lost to recently, right? Like, obviously, the Blazers game with the scrubs that was embarrassing, getting blown out by the Pelicans, you know, Dropping that game to the Clippers in a heartbreaker. Mavs game last night was pretty rough. Yeah, man. I don't think they're beating the Clippers on the road tomorrow. The Warriors have been struggling as of late. I don't think that they're winning that. I don't know, man. They're just going to have to beat a lot of good teams down the stretch. And uh, I just wouldn't really bet on them to overcome anything difficult at this point. You know, man. It's in these trying times I like to remind myself that LeBron's just a kid from Akron, you know? Damn, true. He's, he's, he's getting his 25 a night. Hashtag Wash King. Yeah, you know, I'm looking at the... I'm thinking about the Blazers convo here too, dude, and it's like... That would be insane if the Lakers fell out of the plan. It would be nuts. I, I don't see that happening. I think the LeBron effect will carry them at least to that. I wanted to ask you this. Obviously, you were not sentient or alive. Uh, or No, you were alive for this. <laughs> Sorry. Time, Let's time go! Uh, it is a genuine question. I want you to look at these rosters. Would you take the 04 Cavs or would you take this Lakers squad? 04 Cavs won uh, 35 games. Are we talking about the Lakers with. You're getting this version of LeBron, too. You're getting 19 year old no. LeBron with the squad. No, then I would take this year's Lakers. But I will say, I think that's a better supporting cast. I mean,. Having Boozer, Ricky Davis, but he only played 22 games that year, and Big Z as your two through four, I don't know. I would take that. Like, no, that's probably a bad take because the healthy Lakers. No, no I, that's a thing, though. I, that's, I oh, you're saying without Anthony without Davis. AD, without AD. I don't know. Both of those teams suck. That's my answer. I, I don't think, think it really matters. They both suck. I think I'm taking the 04 Cavs. I don't know. I mean, you know, Malik and Melo are balling. Shout out to them. I always want to shout them out just because they've I wish, been I wish, balling. I wish the Lakers still had Rondo. 
I don't think Rondo's really doing much for this team. I'm not going to lie. They're just no, for the, bad. For the play-in, and then Rondo would turn up and average 20 and yeah, 10. Yeah, I still don't understand it, man. Literally, does that guy just inject himself with testosterone before the playoffs? Dude, I think people forget about this. I learned about this the other day, too, man. Rondo outplayed LeBron in a yes, playoff series. in 2012. It's kind of his big, like the biggest stain on like LeBron's... Uh, career next to losing that Mavs series. Well, I think most people would point. Or are you talking about 2010? I'm talking when about they when they lost to the with, Celtics when he was with the Cavs and when he lost. Oh, okay. Well, I was talking about 2012. Rondo went insane as well. That was his best playoffs. I just, I think people. I don't know, man. Because of the success that he's had and just getting to the finals, man. People like to brush a lot of that stuff under the table. I think people know about that. I think that people are aware of. 09 and 2010 playoff LeBron. All I'm saying though is 2012 playoffs Rondo was 17, 7, and 12 with two and a half steals a game. In that series, in that series, Rondo put up 21, 12, and 6 on 54% shooting from the field while LeBron, ah, LeBron got his, but he, he, got, he got dusted. 27, yeah. 9, and 7. LeBron got his, but that's the famous example of him seeming disengaged. Okay. Well, when they played in 2012, LeBron actually totally balled out. But Rondo got 21-7-11, baby. He's a big-time player. All right, we're talking about Rajon Rondo. I think that that probably means this podcast is just about over. Any other thoughts? Sasha Pavlovich. Sasha Pavlovich. Brandon Bass. Keon Dooling. Michael Petrus. Marquise Daniels. Etwan Moore. Greg Steamsma. Man, Man. Etwan Moore. Was on the 2012 Celtics his rookie year. What a career! This is a weird end to this Dude, podcast. I'm, I'm so glad the league has gotten so much better. Greg Steamsma was getting playoff burn. It tells you a lot about how far we've come in, in this a league. Big time playoff series, baby, in a seven game conference finals. That's wild. Yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Well, as always, it's been fun talking to you guys. Again, not the longest show today, but you know what? Just deal with it. We talked about John Morant for a while. That was pretty fun. The Lakers suck. We only need to spend so much time on it. We will be back with more pods next week. And until then, we've still got plenty of content to keep you guys plugged in. You can always find us on TikTok. That's where we're coming out with the most stuff. At NerdSesh is the handle. Trivia, quick takes, everything that you can want from us is there. You can also find us on Instagram at NerdSesh, Twitter and Twitch at Nerd underscore Sesh. That's where we stream our shows when we're together. We won't be able to do that when we are apart. Check us out on YouTube. I'm going to try to come out with some content there soon. I know I've been saying that for a while, but I'm going to try to do it. And those are all the places you can find us. You can listen to the pod wherever, Spotify, Apple, etc. And with that, as always, appreciate you guys. I've been Carson Brever. I've been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Set. Nerd Set.